Hello, Bible students. We have a question for you about forever, and it is the subject of this whole video. When forever is not forever? Now, you may think that this is a bit of a fun question. Well, I'll show you in a minute that that's not really what I have in mind, but it is important to be able to ask yourself, do you think the heavens go on forever? Do you think that God lives forever? Do you think the kingdom of God will last forever? Do you think that you will live forever? See, what do we really mean by this term forever? And I want to show you what you may not have seen before. This expression is not intended to be an oxymoron. In other words, I have, I have no intention to, to gain any pleasure out of this. And it's not intended to be a riddle. But what it is intended to be is to highlight the problem of translating the biblical text into English and why we need to understand this difficulty as it relates to the concept of the word forever. It's a translation problem. Now, if you can understand this, you will benefit. You will really, I think, be happy at the end of this, that you can see why it is that we are in difficulty with this word forever. It started for me in a big way when I was given an invitation to speak on this topic. El Olam, God of the age or everlasting. And it's just a title of God taken from the Old Testament. And so it got me to think more than I had thought before about just how to deal with this. So here's an example of where it occurred. In Genesis 21, verse 33, this is New King James Version. It says, then Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and they're called on the name of the Lord, Yahweh, the everlasting God. So the question to my mind was, well, what does this idea of everlasting mean? And that's where I got into this subject and, and got a little bit under the waves on this one. So I had to get help. And that's not hard to do because there's a lot of help. So here's an example, again, of what we have to imagine what was meant by it. So in Genesis 3, this is going back to about as far as you can go with this word. In verse 22, it says, then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Well, what did God mean? Live forever. So we have to go to the Hebrew and the word forever, forever in the Hebrew is this word olam. And uh, we see it when we look up in Strong's. That's what I mean by S-T-R there. That's the the uh, source of my information, and H569 is uh, is not the actual number. It is close to the number, but I'll show you that in a minute. Properly concealed or a vanishing point, it can mean always, as is ancient time or any more or continuance, or it can be eternal, everlasting, a long time. Now, I don't believe there's anything wrong with the interpretation given by these lexicons, because the idea, it could be either a concealed time, or it could be something that's just like an expression we say is always occurring around us, or it could be something that it, it lasts, as far as we know, forever. But what is the correct interpretation there? Eat and live forever. Well, if we go to the Greek, we find a, a similar issue, because in Matthew 6, verse 13, it says in the Lord's Prayer, do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So forever in the Greek is this word aeon, 
which we will know again from Strong's is the number G165. And it is from the same as G104, which is quite often, you know, you have to look at a, a more primary root. It means an age by an extension, perpetuity, also past. So it's in the future or in the past. And then by implication, it's translated as the world, which we will need a little help with as we go on in this study. So primarily, the Greek follows the pattern of the Hebrew. There are a number of different ways in which this word can be understood, but you need to make sure that you've got it right for the context. And that's what we're trying to, to establish here. How about English? Well, forever in English could mean a limitless time. And this is taken from a, from a, a, a dictionary that uh, it could be that we want to live forever. That's the way we use it. It could be something that's continuing around us. He is forever making bad puns, like we use the word in that sense. Or it could be a, a verb form, <clears throat> which is a seemingly interminable time. It took her forever to find the answer. So there's, there's those three ways. And this is just taken from the one I usually use is the Merriam-Webster uh, Dictionary. Uh, and it just illustrates the fact that in all three languages, there is a similarity in the way people view the word, and it can be used in those different senses. But those senses are not equivalent. For a limitless time doesn't mean that we're just speaking continually, like forever I hear her speaking that she makes these bad puns or something, or he is doing that. Or in the verb, it's, uh, it's an interminable uh, time. So it's, uh, it's uh, something that we, we wouldn't say is forever, but we really can't identify the beginning and the end either. So in this study, it's, uh, it's obviously a, a language study. We have a number of things which I think is the way to approach this. And this is the way I will be doing this in this address. So we're going to look at a Hebrew-English dictionary. We're going to look at a Greek-English dictionary. We're going to look at how the Bible translates this in, say, the New King James Version. We're going to look at uh, an English dictionary. And then we're going to look at uh, one of the books that I really feel has got a lot to say about this is where you have an astute Bible scholar who said it cannot be this meaning. It has to be this meaning and gives you the reasons why. So that's what made it very helpful to me to have those sources. I don't claim to be a professor. I don't know any of these languages um, to the point where I could uh, argue you know, my, my ground on just the language itself and how it's used in the ancient times and the present time. So I won't go there. I'll just say that I have consulted these in trying to establish the meaning. So look at this one. Now, here's uh, a word. Now, this is the number that I really should have had on the other slide. Forever is H5769. It's in a limited sense. Well, how could forever be in a limited sense? Well, look at this. Exodus 21, verse 6. Then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost. And his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. Now, we don't really believe that this servant would serve his master forever, that is, without end. It is speaking of forever in a sense that's limited. It's limited till either the master-servant relationship breaks up, one of them dies, but certainly there's many ways to think of it as, as not being forever, but that's the use of the word because the word can mean that. It can be mean 
can mean in a limited sense. And so you see the railway tracks here, and this is the idea of a vanishing point, which was in the dictionary definition of the of the Hebrew word olam. So yeah, there's a vanishing point. It, it looks like the railway tracks come to an end when you're looking at it, it's so far away. But our experience has taught us that however, wherever you are on those railway tracks, as long as they're going in a straight line and you can see uh, the vanishing point, you will always think that they go on forever, but they don't go on forever. Now that's the point we really have to see is that this idea of, of forever could mean it goes on forever indefinitely, like the word infinity, we don't define an end because we believe it's endless, or it can be in a limited sense as it would be in a vanishing point. For instance, if you were looking down at a very high built from a very high building, I'm looking down here in this picture from Dubai, and you see all these big tall buildings, they all look like if you go down far enough, they probably all start from a common base, but that's really just the way it appears to our eye. That's the idea of a vanishing point. It looks like it goes on forever. <clears throat> so it goes down to a point somewhere below, but it really doesn't do that. What it does is it has, uh, as we get down lower and lower, we find these things now look like they're quite a ways apart. And we look up and we would see them all looking at some vanishing point in the sky. So that's a, a way we look at forever and we must uh, continue to, to search around that. Now, here's another sense in which it is used in an, an indefinite sense. Uh, Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, where it talks about the kingdom. It's uh, one of the most famous prophetic chapters in the Bible. And it says, in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. So we look at these words, never and forever, and you notice it's that same word we've been looking at, olam. So Hebrew 5957, and uh, whether it's in Kaldi or whether it's in Hebrew, does it make any difference? We get the same idea. It corresponds to remote time, that is the future or past, indefinitely. Now that makes sense, as we'll see, it, 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 it makes essential sense in a biblical way. In other words, you can't really understand this concept if you think that goes on forever. That is, it's not compatible with other Bible statements. So we need to make sure we've got this. And what I wanted to illustrate to you is that a meaning of this word forever here is it's indefinite. It goes on indefinitely. It goes on to a vanishing point. We don't know where that vanishing point is. Now, if you consult John Thomas on this, and his understanding of this word olam, this is what he has to say. The Hebrew and Chaldee nouns are derived from the verb alam, to hide, to conceal. Hence, an olam in relation to time is a hidden period or concealed, hidden in the past or concealed in the future. In prophecy, it designates absolutely a certain period to exist, but without defining its beginning or ending. And that's entirely consistent with the meaning of the word olam as we, as we looked at. But it's just important to remember it when you come to consider where it's being used. So if we look at this idea forever, even forever and ever, as it's described in Daniel chapter seven, verse 18, where it says, the saints of the most high shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Now there's so many evers there that you get the idea that this must certainly go on forever. 
in the, in the sense of, of never ending. Well, this is what John Thomas had to say about that. He says, the kingdom belonging to the saints of the most high ones is to stand for a hidden periods or olums comprised in one hidden period or olum, which must therefore be longer than all of them put together. Hence, this will be a hidden period of hidden periods or an olum, even an olum of olums. And that's how he translates the idea of forever and ever. It's an olum, one or singular, of olums, periods of time. So periods of time that fit into an olum or a, a longer, a, a bigger period of time. That's a, an interesting thing to consider if you've never thought of it before. But uh, is it really right? <clears throat> that's what we want to go on and, and see. He went on to say, he says, I have a translation of Daniel chapter 7, verse 18 before me, which renders the time of the saints are to possess the kingdom by the formula for eternity, even for eternity of eternity. This, however, is a mere flourish and no translation and bears on the face of it proof that the inventor of the form knew nothing about the nature of the kingdom, nor the purpose for which it is to be established. Wow, that's pretty strong words. But John Thomas knew Hebrew. He knew Greek, and he knew his English, and he knew Bible doctrine. <clears throat> and he reasoned it could not be that it is for eternity. Let's go on further. In the last part of this, he says, as I have shown, the kingdom is not to continue eternally so that the saints cannot hold it for eternity. As the scripture is true, they do not use the word here in the sense of ever and eternity. So it's not debunking the idea of uh, what the word means. It's in the meanings of that word, the wrong choice is being made by the Bible commentator. And John Thomas will argue it's not for eternity because the kingdom is not for eternity. There's more coming on that. So if that's a, a difficult uh, concept for you, let's just continue. John Thomas goes into the Greek now for the word aeon. He says, Preserving, presuming then that the reader comprehends the matter thus far, I proceed to remark that the 70 Israelites who translated the prophets into Greek for the king of Egypt substituted for Olam the word aeon. But although this word does not express the same idea as Olam, it was about as good a word as they could select. It was indefinite, as indefinite as Olam, for it neither defined the beginning nor the end of the period it was chosen to represent. Now, we noted that when we looked at the Greek meaning of the word forever, it had this same idea to it. It could last forever for eternity, or it could be a time that's like a has a vanishing point. We, we know it ends somewhere, but we can't see it. It's hidden. And then it can just be something that's continuing in our life, which is limited by our life or our experiences. So he goes on. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 6, it says, it says there, And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So in response, this is John Thomas's words, in response to the salutation from the deity manifested by spirit and Jesus anointed, John, as the representative of earth's future kings, ascribes to him as their prince the glory and the supremacy during the aeons of the aeons. In the English version, those words in italics are rendered forever and ever and represented to the Anglo-Saxon mind the idea of unlimited futurity, commonly called eternity. 
And then finally, this acceptation of the phrase leads to the conclusion that the supremacy of Jesus as as prince, priest, and king of a priestly dominion on earth is to be eternal, a notion which implies that sin and death are destined to obtain on this planet eternally. But this conclusion is altogether set aside by the teaching of the New Testament. Now, I'm not going to assume how much you may know about this. I have written where I got this information from. It's from the, the book Eureka that was written by John Thomas in 1861. It's volume one, page 126. It's probably about 10 pages in that section of that book. And that's where he's saying this, which is this statement before our eyes here is something that Bible students would have readily agreed to, that death and sin are not to continue forever on this earth. And so if Jesus was a priest and a king on the earth dealing with sins and death, then you can see that sin and death would have to also continue indefinitely. Now, that's a very astute uh, reasoning or judgment based on what the word of God says. So John Thomas is saying, in all the choices of the meaning of forever in the Hebrew and the Greek, they just got the wrong ones. If you take the proper ones, you can make this be consistent with other parts of scripture. Now, I just wanted to show you this. This word aeon being translated to English Looking at what Strong's claims is the way it is translated, and that's just the Greek word G165aeon. So it could be ever, 71 times. It could be translated world, 38 times, ever, with a preposition, six times, evermore, age, eternal, miscellaneous. So certainly a lot of variety there. But then he goes on to another variation of this word and says it can mean these expressions. Unto the ages of the ages, unto the age, this age, unto the ages, end of the age, from the age. So age certainly has a big part of the uh, meaning of this word in a a number of uh, citations. But then again, the idea of world and ever also has a number of them. How are we to make something of all this? What are we to understand by all this? And I'm not going through this to turn anyone off. I think you will find that when we get to the end of this and understand it, we will be very happy that we have endeavored to get this understanding. Now, this is an important step in that direction. And it's a step, but it's a step you have to make. When Jesus made this statement in Luke 20, verses 34 and 35, we really get a breakthrough on this. Jesus answered and said unto them, the sons of this age... That's that word in Greek, aeon, marry and are given a marriage. But those who are counted worthy to attain that age and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given a marriage. He's talking about two different ages. They're not the same age. So we got to think about how do we put that together? Well, John Thomas did this. He had a diagram. It's found in the same place in Eureka. And this is the way he distributed it. He said that we'll call this diagram the aeon of sin and death. And I want to go through this. It'll be very quick, but I'll just go through this to show you the various parts of this diagram that he later on referred to. So this age is the verse that Jesus is referring to. That's the age they were in. And that age is separated by, what, 2,000 years. It would be the age that Jesus was ministering in and the age where he will come back to the earth to minister again 
not in the same way, but he'll be back teaching people. This age and that age are separated by a lot of years. So you can see that when John Thomas explained this using the meanings that weren't forever and ever, but the meaning that says it's indeterminate, we let the context determine it. We let the way it's being expounded determine it. We let other Bible passages tell us how to expound it. And here's one where we can see these ages are really separated one from the other. So in his diagram, he pointed out these parts of it. He explains that there's an interval of time between creation and sin, in which he was not prepared to say how long that was. Then there was an olam, which was what we would call the Naoic uh, olam. That was the time before the flood. Then there was a period of time till there was a covenant made with Abraham. So, I mean, that's just about 400 years there. And then there was the interval of time while Israel was in Egypt. So he makes that for his uh, reasoning on it, as you can see in, in his book, uh, a little bubble on the side of that, that uh, olam. And uh, that olam is till, went on till the temple was destroyed by the Romans. So now this becomes very, very helpful when you're going on to, to describe some of the things that Jesus talked about. So when he talked about the end of the age, and he's talking about the age, this age, as he spoke of that Luke 20 passage, you can see that that's when it happened, when the temple was destroyed and that age was done. So you get little glimpses that this man knew what he was talking about. The temple destroyed to the time of the second coming of Christ is a big, long period. This would be where we are presently, sometime in that period of time. Then there will be a period of judgment. When Jesus returns and he's going to bring the nations into submission, that they might all be subject to the, the kingdom age, the age of righteousness, which will last as an aeon of aeons, the millennial age. Now, it's going to be apparent to us, and I'll just introduce this at this point. We'll talk about it a little bit in, the, in just a few slides from this, that the aeons of aeons refers to one aeon, that is the the uh, kingdom age of a thousand years, but many little ages within it. He's not sp speaking about the aeons that are past. He's just saying the aeons of aeons is an age of ages. And then when Satan is loosed at the end of the 7,000 year period, he, uh, he says it would be about six years. And then at that time, there would be no more sin and death. You can see that uh, the A, B, C, D, expression is the 7,000 years. And if you add all that up, he's within four years of being 7,000. Maybe that's where you start at the beginning and, and say, well, that would mean four years. But, you know, things could be out. And uh, we don't know how much it could be out. I don't want to speak of these things as being particularly accurate in the terms of the exact number of years. No one knew the day when these things would end, as Jesus rightly said. But what about this last bubble here? He says that's the unrevealed period because God has not said what will happen at the end of the kingdom age. He just says that the kingdom will be given back to God and that God would be all in all at that time. So there is some time, obviously, after that because people have been made immortal. If they're made immortal, they cannot die. So they will continue on. But we don't know what is going to happen then because it just has not yet been revealed. Well, Bringing this to an end, if, if it really can ever bring this subject to an end, because, you know, as you read other passages, you will have to decide 
how to interpret them. But, you know, given the idea that these definitions that were given for the Hebrew and the Greek and the English all follow a pattern, which your interpretation falls in, it's, it's at least consistent with that. But the Bible translations themselves have not been consistent with that. And I want to show you that. So I want to lay out the New King James and the King James Plus. Now, the King James Plus is just a version of the King James, which shows you all the Greek or Hebrew words beside it with a number. So you can determine what actually that word meant. Very helpful. But you can see that you go down in this verse, it's obviously showing a, it takes up much more space to repeat that verse when you've got all those numbers added. So it appears to be longer, but it is just the same verse. One's King James Version, one's the New King James Version. Well, this word world, we get that by looking at the King James Version plus, is that word aeon, Greek 165. And in the King James Version, it was translated world. And in the New King James Version, it's translated age. Further, the New King James Version has the word age twice in there. But this version in the King James says, no, there isn't any word for the second uh, use of uh, Greek 165. <clears throat> we always know that when we see a word written in italics, you see world to come. Um, that's an italics. There is no word there for world. But the New King James has picked it up correctly because it's an age, either in this age or in the age to come. We saw that for sure in Luke chapter 20. So we can see now what, what it's, it means in this record in Matthew 12. And that's where understanding grows. You can see that when you've, you've really got it right in one passage, that you can go to other passages and try it on. But just remember where we had to go. We had to go back to look at what the Hebrew said what the Greek said and what the English said and found an agreement between them on the various ways you can understand this word forever. Let's look at another one. So in Mark chapter 10, verse 30, the New King James Version says, in the age to come, eternal life. Well, if we go back to our, our uh, version of the King James where we have these numbers, you can see that Greek 165 and Greek 166 are essentially the same word. One word is translated world and one word is translated eternal, but they're basically the same word. But even the New Kings version tends to follow that pattern. And in the age to come, eternal life, which we have seen that the word eternal can be spoken of in a in a uh, undefined sense. Now, in that case, we know that if a person is made immortal by the fact they're given an immortal body that cannot die, then there must be in the age to come for those believers who had that faith to have eternal life that does go on forever. So we can now use our understanding of the scriptures to give us a better way of understanding it. But I think in the King James Version, the use of the word world as an interpretation of the word aeon is misleading in the way we normally use the word world. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of God our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Well, we've learned something about this evil age that's referred to so often in the scriptures. When we go to the King James, we find that it's, it's not age, it's world, the way it's translated. So we would get quite a, a different understanding of it if we 
looked at the idea of, of, of an evil world, we would talk that way. We look at the news, we find evil and bad everywhere we look, but it can also be understood as an age in which we live. And that is, it has a beginning and it has an ending, and uh, we're not defining that in this passage. Forever and ever, again, is translated the same way in both the New King James and the King James, and we've spoken about that already. If we go to this one in Matthew 24, verse 3, uh, the questions that the disciples had was really a significant one. It, it's it's uh, written down for us that as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, that's interesting that they would ask at the end of the age, because well, if the age was defined as being eternal, if they'd use that word eternal, then uh wouldn't be much sense in talking about the end of it. We go to the King James, and it says the end of the world instead of the end of the age. And uh, of course, there's a lot of people talking about the end of the world today. They're running around with signs and, and talking about doomsday where they think that that's the end of civilization. No, it's it's the end of the age. They were in an age and they wanted to know when that age ended. Quite a different question. And so what's being suggested in the King James is taking care of somewhat in the New King James, but just the use of the English word age rather than world. Now, here's where it, it gets more serious. We come to Hebrews chapter one, verse two, and it's talking about Jesus and talking about the things he did and, and what we are to make of it. It says, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Made the worlds? What worlds? Well, look at the King James itself. Again, he made the worlds. But that word worlds is this word that means age, the word aeon, age. If he had said made the ages, and maybe instead of using the word made, as we think a carpenter making something, but fashioned it, or he brought the ages together around this. So I found it healthy to, to just think of this as he fashioned the ages. We have quite a different significance to us, but just hold that for a minute as we go on in this chapter, or in the uh, at least in this part of the of the uh, New Testament. So in Revelation chapter one verse six, it says, "He hath made us kings and priests unto God and His Father; to Him be glory and dominion for ever and ever." Well, John Thomas had this to say. He said, "This acceptation of the praise leads to the conclusion that the supremacy of Jesus as Prince Priest." and king of a priestly dominion on earth is to be eternal, a notion which implies that sin and death are destined to be obtained on this planet eternally. We looked at this before. But this conclusion is altogether set aside by the teaching of the New Testament. So what was this teaching of the New Testament? Well, look at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8, where it says, But to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. And forever and ever is just, again, the idea of age um, and age in both of those cases. And you can see that if it says that Jesus' throne is to go on forever and ever, we get into difficulty for this because King Jesus' kingdom does not go on forever and ever. It goes on for the age of the ages or the aeon of the aeons, but it does not go on forever and ever. 
You see, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 24, it says, Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and authority and power. For he must reign till he hath put all things under his old enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Now, who is this one that he's talking about except Jesus? He shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, his Father. So Jesus rules for an indeterminable time period, as it would be seen from people looking at it back when he first announced these things. We know that it has a, uh, a time period of a thousand years, because we're told in Revelation it lasts for a thousand years, but it does not last beyond it. Why? Well, look at this. He says in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 6, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And again, that, that word is the word aeon. He's a priest for an age. He's priest for a time which has a vanishing point. That's a much better interpretation than saying it is forever. So here's what John Thomas has to say about this. The aeon of aeons in the places cited are the period of the apoloptic, uh, apocalyptic reign, which is a priestly administration after the order of Melchizedek and therefore of necessity, not eternal. Aristotle, whose mother tongue was Greek, says that the period of each existence is its aeon. A thousand years there is therefore the aeon of the Melchizedek reign, containing aeons or cycles within itself. Jesus, anointed with the seven spirits, will have, will have and bear the glory and exercise supreme authority in the midst of his associates over the nations of the earth to its utmost bounds during that time. So the idea of him being a priest during that time would suggest that sin and death continues indefinitely, but sin and death does not continue indefinitely. Like that's where you've got an understanding of the word forever applied. Well, the Greek, the Hebrew, the English allow for it, but it's the wrong of the choices. The idea of Jesus' kingdom and of his priestly order going on forever in the sense of infinity is not possible because we're told that it ends. So it has to be another choice. So in conclusion, then, we would say that the Hebrew word olam conveys the idea of an unknown period like that of a vanishing point. The Greek word aeon is also, is often also has the meaning of a hidden period of time, and it should not be thought of as being necessarily endless. The English word forever in the sense of going on indefinitely is often not the correct choice of meaning of the original Hebrew and Greek word. You see, there we're trying to set out, if you can recall, that these words in the Hebrew and the Greek and the English all give you the idea of it being a vanishing point or it could be endless. You just have to make the choice when you're coming to the particular word. John Thomas in his book, Eureka, illustrates the importance of a correct understanding of the context for the word when translating the words olam and aeon. So he illustrates in some cases, it could not be the choice of the translators because that contradicts other scriptures. That's crossing a red line that we cannot cross or cannot cross when we're trying to attain an understanding of God's word. So we need to be careful when reading passages where misleading translations occur so as to not perpetuate the air. Now, I want to leave it there. I've uh, given you in the video the place where I got this, the book I got this from. You've looked at the Hebrew, the Greek. You can check that out and the English. 
you can go back to many more passages than that we looked at and, and try to make out what they are, re, are referring to or whether they're you know, going on infinitely or whether they're going on just for a time that has a vanishing point. And we hope that you've gained a little more understanding or at least you're, you're inquisitive now and you're going to verify it by your own research. That would be the better way to go because when you do it yourself, you gain understanding thereby, that's where you get the pleasantness of understanding, the sweet taste in your mouth. May God bless your study of his word.